Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast by Transfer News Central. I think I change that every week, but you get the idea. It's dissecting the most complex of football topics in 15 minutes or less, essentially simplifying it down to a digestible format. And I'm joined once again by James. Hi, everyone. We've got four topics as ever with um, with us today, and uh, some interesting ones. More, some almost more philosophical than necessarily what's going on on the field. But uh, our starting topic, uh, I'll go through them all as a, all, the, all the four, so you know. We've got the fourteen pound ninety five a match scandal or controversy that um, basically Sky Sports and BT have put the matches that were not scheduled to be on TV on a pay per view platform which means that people who want to watch that specific game will have to pay £14.95 we'll just say £15 to watch that particular game and then we'll go on to England and we'll go on to whether uh, Gareth Southgate pros and cons actually of, of Southgate's idea to go back to the back three that initially abandoned after leaving the uh, 2018 World Cup so we'll look into that in a bit more detail going back going backwards or a necessary step uh, with with the Euros coming coming up, we'll also look at England in more detail outside of the system, or looking at look at looking at it with a look with a view to this prospective system. What players should be going to the Euros? What players will go to the Euros? What players might miss out? How should England be lining up ahead of this new big tournament in 2021? And lastly, we'll be looking at a few potential transfers before the climax of the championship uh, transfer window. So there's been a few links uh, for championship players to come to the Premier League. We've got Ben Rama. Uh, Dini's had a, been speculated with a few clubs. We've got Ismail Assar. Um, we've got Max Ahrens and Jack Butland. So quite a lot there. But we're also going to touch on an interesting 18-team uh, Premier League idea proposed by some of the big wigs in England. Again, that is a little bit controversial, but I guess we'll start with some other controversy. James, in terms of £14.95 per match thing, or £15 per match thing, I mean, what are your initial thoughts before we go into it in a bit more detail? Just off the the top of your head, when you first saw this come up on Twitter, uh, first of all, were you surprised? And uh, secondly, um, what's your thoughts behind it? What were your thoughts behind it when you first read it? Yeah, I wasn't surprised because this is what the Premier League are like. Take any opportunity to make money, seem to be very focused on money uh, over anything else, rather than um, supporting the fans. Um, it's way too expensive um, to tie for one game. Uh, and there's a danger, of course, there's lots of dangers inherent in it, in that they'll start making all the big games pay-per-view and then the games that are left over will be the ones that get you get with your Sky subscription, you know. So we don't know that will, how that will happen, but mm. if it's successful, there's a danger that could happen. Mm-hmm. And fans already pay a lot of money for BT Sport and Sky and all the other subscriptions that they need to have. And it's a lot of money, especially right now. The financial circumstances are not good for a lot of people. Um, so it's taking football away from the fans in a sense. And, you know, Sky and everyone, BT Sport, will say they want to clamp down on illegal streaming. Well, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> All this will do is encourage illegal streaming. People will think, well, I can't be bothered. I'm not going to. Some people I know have even given up their BT Sport and Sky subscriptions 
as a result of this and just going to watch every game streaming, illegal streaming, because there yeah. are always ways to do that. Um, it was quite ironic, James. You know, when it came out, the top two streams, as highlighted by uh, HLTCO, and on mine actually as well, were £14.95. And then underneath it was IPTV. So, I mean, it's quite, you know, it was quite yeah. an ironic uh, juxtaposition there of, you know, you're trying yeah, to, yeah. you know, you're trying to do one yeah. thing. And obviously it's promoting uh, illegal uh, acts because people are sort of at the end of the tether. And uh, like you said, you're not surprised by what they've done, but you still, you were still upset. And a lot, and like you just said, your friend now has cancelled uh, their BT subscription in sort of, I guess, just simply having it had enough about what 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 TV companies think they can charge and what TV companies think they yeah. can do with that subscription. And and the other thing I think as well is, I mean, my I've always thought that the best thing to do would be for the Premier League to have this kind of Netflix type type service where everyone pays a monthly fee, mm. and. And for that, you get you get the games. If you pay, you can pay a bit extra, you get you get kind of extra content. Maybe you pay a bit extra and you get club specific content for your club. All or nothing, James, on 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 the side. Or you can, yeah, or you can pay for your club's games only, or whatever you know. And you could you could you could probably do a, do something where Sky were still showing games or something exclusive about Sky. I don't know. You could still watch it on mm. Sky or something. Mm. You could still do that, but you'd make so much money from that because mm. because that would get worldwide worldwide uh, revenue. You yeah. make so much money from that. You wouldn't even need to sell it to Sky. You'd make so much money from it. And Amazon <laughs> Prime's coverage was very good, actually, wasn't it? I mean, they yeah, um, they've sort of yeah. trialed, they dipped the toes in, and essentially what you'd do is, is it's like if you're watching Amazon Prime or Netflix, a, a streaming service, you'd see all the live games that were sort of, I think they, were, they did them all live together, and then you'd just go across with your remote or, or on your laptop and you'd click on the game just like a normal stream, and you get it in HD quality, depending on your Wi-Fi, I guess. Um, but we got it in HD quality, and you know the coverage was very good. They all had uh, they had one or two pundits there. It's quite it was basic coverage in terms of you know it didn't go up with all the flashy sort of gimmicks that maybe Sky Sports go with, but it was accessible and largely most people enjoyed it. And people, that's what you know we got this re- revival of the as you said, James, the Netflix of football idea. And I suppose you're absolutely spot on because they are quite. You know, the prices in general of BT and Sky are quite extravagant. So you're missing out. There'll be a lot of football fans in the UK that don't have a subscription service that maybe went on the local games and then watched the Premier League a match of the day because they didn't want to subscribe to that. Yeah. But yeah. like you said, Netflix, what is it? I think it's £7, £8 a month, depending on your subscription. Yeah. Perfect. That could, that could get, I mean, that could maybe, I, I don't want to jump the gun, but maybe double treble. You know the, the the current subscriptions of, of yeah, others. The, yeah, the Premier League would make money. Would make a, would make more money than they do now. There would there would be more money in football than there is now if you did that. And they could easily afford to hire all the best commentators, pundits, everything. They could, you know, they could work in conjunction with Sky and BT Sport. They, they could know. hire us, James, if they were short of a, a few um, a few pounds. Yeah, and no, then we could have yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll do some extra content for them. Yeah, yeah, fine, pay well, me. Yeah. Well, we did the uh, we did the we did the interviews with uh, Clive Tilsey, Peter Drury, and Ian Dark. So again, if they want to call upon our good good co commentary skills, then they're, they're very welcome to do so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> available for hire. <laughs> yeah, 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 very, very yeah. good. 
I'd love that. Um, so listen, listen, guys, if you, if you could do anything, then please do sort that out. Netflix and football with me at the helm. Mind you, I suppose suppose that wouldn't be too nice for the viewers and the um, and the listeners uh, to have my groany voice on um, on as a co-com. But, you know, you're getting cheaper service, so you shouldn't complain. Anyway, back to the um, back to the point at hand, though, really, James. I mean, there was an argument. I think Enya Luco put it on Twitter. She was only she wasn't saying she wasn't doing a, co- a complete counter argument. She was hypothetically putting questions across and she said it's much cheaper 14 pound 95 again i might, might as well call it i don't know why they decided to cut five pounds off but anyway they said um you know this she said it's much cheaper than the average match day ticket uh, that you would get going to other places and uh you know a lot of people were sort of like yeah but blah 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 well in, in essence she's right i suppose on the counter side she is you know Specifically, you're James, you're a Chelsea fan, you pay a lot more to watch your, your team play at Stamford Bridge yeah. or somewhere else. So there is that to look at it. And also, I think we've got to bear in mind as well that, like you say, you weren't surprised. There was this inevitability to be an inevitability about it because Sky Sports and BT had, um, you know, they have the package deals that, that, that come to, I think, the total rights deal was nearly £5 billion uh, pounds, or around that figure. And they pay, so they pay an absolute fortune for the games that they get. The best games each week, roughly speaking, you know, minus the fact they have to get quotes, fill quotas in each package. So they were saying that, which is which is right from their point of view. They're putting a lot of money in, and they were showing all the games, and it was of no extra financial benefit to them. So they weren't getting their the most out of the rights that they paid for. In fact, they were they were very diluted. Because all the games were free, and then suddenly, if you were a Sky Sports customer or a BT customer, um, or both, you were paying for four or five games a week. You were getting all of them. So, yeah. from the business standpoint, you can see why they've gone that route, I suppose. Yeah, and yeah. and their counter argument is, which is very true, but I'm, I don't agree with it. And I'm gonna I'll let you when I let you respond. I'll come back to what I think. But their counter argument will be that. We're charging you less than you would have been charged going on the games as a fan. And the only way you can go to watch the games now, legally, is through this this subscription service. So there's not the alternative and they're making it cheaper than it would have been mm. to go on the matches. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what I think, but I'm saying that's no, what I, I think, think they are. No, that's what... And then the whole point of having of games on TV is that people who can't go to games can watch it on TV. Well, it's meant to be cheaper to watch games on TV than it is to go to games. Um, and the whole idea of matches on TV is that you don't pay on a game-by-game basis, right? Yeah, it, it's very wrong. Football, it's, football is becoming more and more disconnected from real fans. It really is. Like, you go down to the, the Championship and, and League One and League Two, then then you start to see, like, real football. Well, again, it's more community-based. It's... It's less about money. It's it's quite competitive. There's Non-league no as well. Non-league, Non-league to well. the grassroots. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Not right now, though. I mean, they're suffering so much at the moment, and it is really sad to see. And it, yeah, and it's, and, but actually, James, you just you. I don't know. So I was going to forget to mention it. So you brought me onto a good point there. The non-league as well have. It's been a really good PR move for them. This because they've said so many clubs I've seen on on Twitter. My local club, Colm. Uh, other other non-league clubs, grassroots clubs, have basically said, you know, it, there's a big movement to let the fans into the stadiums now. Given what the government have been doing, it's suggested that fans go to the cinema to watch the team. You know, it, the, the, the local fans are going, well, that's inside, and you know, it, it, it's the virus spreads more inside. So there's a big clamber to let the fans back in. 
And if they do that at grassroots level because they need it the most, the, these clubs are now arguing, well, £14.95, you can get a pint, you can get the match day ticket, you can get the match day experience, you can get a programme, and you can watch proper football. So it's been a brilliant PR move for them. The idea that fans are being priced out of it, you know, fans of Premier League clubs are being sort of forgotten in this move. And then the non-league clubs are saying, hang on, we still love you. We still would welcome you onto our stadiums and you'd get more for your money. You do, yeah. And there's a there's a, there's a non-league club near to Isla, Sutton United, who played Arsenal famously a few years ago. FA Cup, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, see, I remember that when that happened and it was just everyone in the community was all excited about it. It was everyone... In Sutton Town Centre, was getting excited and selling scars and everything. It was like a real community thing, and that felt like real football, right? Uh, now you don't have that in the Premier League anymore. You don't, you know. There's no sense of connection to your club as much now. I mean, I, I think this this trend of hiring ex players as managers is, has been a, kind of an attempt to to change that. You know, Solskjaer, Arteta, Lampard. You know. Hire ex players because the fans love them and will connect with the club again. And actually, as a Chelsea fan, there is a sense of reconnection since you know Lampard came back and the academy players are being used. That always connects as well. So, but in general, the, it's just not the same. It's more of a, a business now. You're like a customer, and mm. I've actually noticed this with a lot of fans that fans are starting to act like customers. You know, that they want instant results, instant like performances, no excuses. Like players are just commodities. Managers are just commodities, and then, you know, because it starts to filter down into younger fans, and that's 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 really sad when that happens. Um, something has definitely been lost, and materialistic. Be- lacks the authenticity, but more materialistic now. Yeah, exactly. Um, more consumerism, basically. Like it's. More I've got, you know, yeah. I've got things here. When they pick this, and it just sort of ties in with what we've been saying. You know, what. I'll ask you, James, I suppose, as a sort of nice way to end this this segment. First of all, just before we do say this, in terms of the, the BT and Sky themselves, I think, putting my business cap on, you can understand why they've done this from yeah. their point of view, can't you? Because okay. they were missing out a lot. And if they had a whole season with fans not being allowed on, they would have lost a lot in terms of what their eyes were worth. Absolutely, I agree, yeah. You've got to, yeah, from their perspective, they've got to... You've got to somehow make that money back. Um, but from the fans' perspective, I suppose, given we've had this lockdown for a while and we haven't been able to attend matches, I'm going to say, so you buy, we, we pay more, as we were saying, for a, for a match day ticket than £14.95, usually for our clubs. I think even Burnley, uh, I'd be paying more for that. I haven't been on for a while, but I certainly would think so. And certainly for Chelsea, we know <laughs> you would be paying more for more than the £14.95. But what... Yeah. In, in, in short, maybe one minute summary, James. What are you paying for when you get that match day ticket? When I pay for a match day ticket, I am paying for the experience. It's it's not just the game; it's the walk to the stadium. It's meeting other fans. It's you know the atmosphere before the game. It's having drinks and whatever and a burger, or whatever before the game, and talking about it with other fans and meeting fans you, you never met before and just talking about. The game, reading the program, you know, it's all of that. It's uh, it's 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 a whole experience. It's not just the actual game itself, and enjoying the game even if you don't win. Actually, you know, it used to be. I mean, certainly before Chelsea became a, what they are now, 
from a kind of a mid-table club. It, that's what it really was about. It, like, okay, we didn't expect the result to be great, or but it, but it wasn't really just about that. And that's what a match day experience is for me. And I miss that. You know, I haven't, I haven't had obviously I haven't been to a game for quite a while now. And neither has anyone. So I think, I think I think we all do. I think that was really nicely put, actually, James. A nice way to sort of round that segment off. Just a reminder that um, you know that, that that football is more than just a ball being kicked around on on a on a on a pitch. Uh, it's about the spectacle and everything that comes with that. And I think there was a, there's almost a little danger that when we went into playing games behind closed doors, that that could almost be lost. But um, yeah, there does still seem to be something a little bit empty, certainly from my point of view, certainly from everyone's watching these players kick the ball around in empty empty um, vessels, empty stadiums, yeah. bustling vessels of atmosphere, just not there at the moment. But anyway, that's the reality we are in. And I think we should, I suppose, go to some uh, action on the pitch uh, or, or at least um, yeah. discussion based on the national team, given it's their moment to shine, it's their international break. Um, they beat Belgium today uh, by two goals to one. And we'll come to that in the, in the next segment, really. But uh, as far as England go, they have recently been going back to their back three setup, back three slash back five setup that they were so successful with at the 2018 World Cup. They obviously got to the semi-finals, went one 0 up against Croatia. Everyone knows it was the, you know, the best day in many young millennials' history um, when Kieran Trippier put that free kick into the top corner. Yeah, and was. and uh, football was almost coming home. And the bulk of that was built around the system that prioritised three central, well, three defenders or five defenders, depending on when England were um, soaking up the pressure or, or pushing forward. Uh, the back three set up has had its uses um, but after that of course you know Southgate tried to move away from that move into a 4-3-3 setup um, he got success against Spain a 3-2 win which was a brilliant win I think in the Nations League and there were moments where England looked really good in that 4-3-3 I felt thought they gave the Netherlands yeah. quite a good game uh, before they inevitably lost in the in the Nations League again I think that was in the 4-3-3 setup but I've summarised it like this, James, and I'll let, I'll let you sort of come in after this. But my overriding pro to going back to a back three is there's more defensive assurance for a defence that doesn't instil me with much confidence, or I think lots of confidence. And I think the overriding con uh, with the back three is that England, it's negating England's best set of attacking options uh, that they've had in about 10 years. So, you know. Yeah. And and I, th- I think that's that's two nice starting points and for you to sort of jump off. They were going to be my two the two points. Yeah, I mean we have we have some incredible attacking talent coming through. I mean you have you've already got uh, Raheem Sterling. You've got um, obviously Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane, um, Calvert Lewin, Jaden Sancho. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to. You can you can lose track. Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson Odoi. Um, you know these. You've got. Oh God, I can't keep up with all the talent. You know, there's a uh, lot Grealish, of players. Yeah, Jason Mount, You know, uh, there's a, um, a Phil Foden. You know, there's a lot of young attacking talent, mm. and mm. some of them have world class potential. I mean, I, I mean, Jadon Sancho, on his performances for Dortmund, should be starting for England. You know. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Mason Mount uh, today. 
Mason Mount was excellent yeah. today. I mean, he's no. I mean, he gets even even Chelsea fans. Some Chelsea fans don't rate him, which I don't understand at all. Because mm. um, every time he plays, he he works hard. He's 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 passing as good. He's you know he's he's a goal threat as well. Um, he's improving all the time. Great attitude as well. Um, works really hard, which is why Southgate and Lampard both like him. Mm. Um, yeah, and he's a he's a talent as well. And of course, there's yeah, so there's all this there's all this attacking talent, and mm. it's really important that England make the most of that mm. because um, because it, it can't go to waste. This is a kind of another golden generation potentially. Mm. Well, as good at oh, least. Don't say, don't say that, James. Look at um, <laughs> you know, um, and it needs to be harnessed. It needs to be used. Um, but then again, of course, you're right. The centre back issue, the, the defence mm. issue, is a problem. I think this is an issue in football mm. generally that defenders are mm. not as good generally as they used to be. Mm. You know, and I, 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 I think I try to think of top class centre backs that England have um, who would fit in a back four formation. There aren't too many. You know, uh, Joe. I mean, I like Joe Gomez. I think he's really good. Fits in a back four. Plays in the back four for Liverpool. Play him with somebody. I mean, even uh, Michael Keane's doing quite well for Everton right now. I like him as a player. Maguire, I'm not a fan of in a back four. <laughs> um, I don't think he's got the pace to play in a back four. If you're playing an attacking system, especially, he can play in a back three. Quite good in the back three, um, but uh, not in a back four. Mm. Our backs are pretty, pretty good. We've got Ben Chill on the left, who is excellent. There's other, I think there's other left backs as well, aren't there? Um, the Bukio Saka, who played against Wales. Yeah, Saka, he's a good um, Sure, not sure. He's more left centre back, sure. isn't he, in terms of a, uh, in terms of a left sided yeah. option. I mean, there's, all, there's possibly an option. I mean, Kieran Trippier played there today, and I don't think, and I, you know, Kieran Trippier is an ex Burnley player, and I think he's actually a very underrated performer. He's done, he, you know, he was very. I thought he was, you know, uh, I think Tottenham jumped the gun when they sold him. Actually, considering the yeah, they did. yeah, with that, and I think he's done quite well for Atletico Madrid. And I think he was fantastic. Well, I don't think I know he was fantastic in the World Cup, but he's not a left wing back. He's no. a right wing back, or he's a right back. Listen, I think defensively, is he's not as strong as going forward. In in, in you know, in the same respect. Trent Alexander-Arnold's better going forward than defensively. Trippier, brilliant crosser of the ball, likes to take on his man, but can be left a bit short in behind. So when you play him at left wing back, he's, it negates the attacking qualities that he has because he has to come back inside and he can't yeah. get as good a whip on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for someone who struggles a bit on his defensive game, I think he's a terrible defender, but he's better going forward. Again, that, that that just leaves him a whole new problem to be faced on his wrong side. And I just don't think that's... A, and he's played there a few times now and he's not convinced me when he's played there. I agree. Yeah, yeah um, at all. I mean, just, uh, England have got so many good right-back options. Too many. Too many. Too, too many. many. I mean, you've got, obviously, you've got Trenton Arnold, who's world-class. You've got um, Kyle Walker, Reese James, who's done pretty well in the games that he's played for England mm. uh, and Chelsea. You've mm. got potentially Lamptey as well, uh, mm. who's doing really mm. well and looks good mm. in the wing back system as well. Mm -hmm. You've got so many players in that position. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really difficult, isn't it, for England? They need to 
figure out a system that's, that's going to suit all their players and get the most out of their attacking yeah. and their fullbacks because they've got okay. good fullbacks. Yeah. And you've got, then you've got players like Declan Rice, who is a really good defensive midfield player, mm. really improving all the time. And obviously, Henderson will come back from injury. He's, he's good in terms of his work ethic and his leadership and good in the dressing room, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, at the moment, James, what you, as well, who's coming yeah. to good player and good at controlling possession, good at you know, um, starting off tax from deep. So, if you played a 4 2 3 1, you could play with him and Declan Rice behind, I don't know, uh, Sterling, Grealish, and Sancho, for example, and then Kane. Potentially. Yeah, I mean, that's just a suggestion. I'm not saying that's what will happen, but that's there's so many options, and it's a difficult, difficult one because basically. Southgate's got to get results. Yeah. And so you've got to get results, but also you've got to make sure that you don't waste this potential that England have. Well, what we're looking at, I mean, we're, we're, this is basically the cons list so far. I mean, we did touch on the pros to begin with, but this is basically against, so far it's been largely against the back three. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this for, for sections and morphing it into a happier 15 minutes after. But um, I think that's how it's working out. But um, the... Uh, what I had down here, actually, so, you know, 4-3-3, what we were looking at before as um, Southgate set up, uh, I think in, in many people said it was Declan Rice as the, as the as if it was a 4-3-3, Declan Rice as the lone six, uh, yeah. Jordan Henderson as the more box-to-box eight, but could yeah. also be, be a sort of double pivot with Rice. And then mm-hmm. next to him, you could have the advanced eight or the number 10 of Grealish, Madison, Bowden or Mount or someone like that, you know that that I suppose there's an argument you could have Mount as the Henderson role, but I think Henderson could, probably does yeah. roll a bit better, you know, you know as we as we've seen for Liverpool. But as I say there, so in that advanced eight, so you'd have Mount Grealish, Foden or Madison potentially there, and then in the forward three positions you'd got Sancho, Kane, Sterling, Calvert Lewin, Greenwood, uh, Rashford. So many options. Just going back to those number eight, this system negates the number eight, really. So you'd be lucky if out of Grealish, Mount, Madison and Foden, if more than one of those went, given this setup, which is shocking, but I'd be shocked because it, they don't fit. It, it negates the number eight, advanced number eight, it negates the number yeah. 10. What you're looking at is someone to play maybe at left wing, Left forward, sorry, is the three four three is the left forward or the right forward. Grealish played that against Wales very well, actually. And what that would mean is he drops into maybe his, his free position in the number ten. But when uh, England are defending, he'll he'll go out to the to the right forward or the left forward place. However, that is quite striking that I've actually compiled. We'll talk we'll talk about this in a bit more detail in the next section. I've compiled a possible. 23-man squad, which is what you take for the Euros. And mm. in that, given that shape and system, and given that shape and system, it doesn't have Madison, Foden, Greenwood, um, and it could well not have Mount or Grealish, because that's not my opinion, but that's how I see it. Gareth Southgate clearly likes Mount, uh, doesn't seem to have as much affection towards Grealish, and I'll be honest, in this 3-4-3, it is very it's possible, given when you when you analyze, look at the options, two players per position to be, you know, 
capable going into the Euros, it's possible that Grealish, the guy who everyone's raving about, could actually miss out because and of the system. Be, in that this would game. be absolute travesty if that happened. There, there is no way if you are an England manager, you should be, or any manager, you've got Jack Grealish available, mm-hmm. you should be leaving him out of your squad because he is, he is a unique talent. Um, he is, you know, he's, he reminds me of Joe Cole a lot, um, Glenn Hoddle, that kind of player. He's, 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 he's a genius. You know, he's very creative. He's, he's got great character actually as well. He's West, he's Aston Villa captain. Um, got great vision, passing movement. He's, you know, you can float around, you can make something out of nothing. Uh, and, and I can tell you that pretty much wouldn't be any other country that would not take someone like him. No. It's only England seem to have this allergy of take, to taking players like Jack Grealish. It's always the functional kind of player that gets picked. And Can I just ask James? Yeah. This, just this, this thing because it, uh, and, I, and I'm not against Gareth Southgate as a manager, and I know that he's got England's best interest at heart, and he did a good job at the last World Cup. And generally, he's got good results, but you can't just keep playing this functional way when you've got these kind of players available because these kind of players can win you games on their own. Like yeah. When you're playing against a team that's difficult to break down or a top, just a top team, you need a player like Grealish to come on or you can do something out of nothing. And if I said to you, James, you know, I said four players there and potentially only one goes, you know, Grealish, Mount Foden, and Madison. If you could only take one, would it be Grealish out of those four? Probably. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Mason Mount. Mm. I'm a huge fan of Mason Mount. And I think he, mm. should be, he should be in the squad. I do. And he probably would take Mount over Grealish. I mean, he would. <laughs> he would, um, I think. Um, there is an argument, to be fair, James, that Jack Grealish is a, is a brilliant talent. Uh, although there were times last year where he wasn't. I mean, it, when Aston Villa stayed up, you ask many Aston Villa fans who love Jack Grealish, they'll say that he wasn't the one that stood up necessarily when they were on the brink of the drop. You know, Trezor Gay got some very important goals. Uh, Douglas Louise came out as the as the true uh, defensive midfield performer that he is. The defence and the system suddenly became more rigid and compact and had developed a never-say-die attitude. So there was an argument that maybe, as good as Grealish was, he wasn't quite the person who, you know... The, the golden boy throughout the whole of Aston Villa season last yeah, year. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I understand And that. also there's the argument yeah. with, with the character that he has, with the personality. He seems like a very confident guy, very happy kind of character, that maybe he needs the sort of, the, the slightly tougher treatment from Gareth Southgate, as opposed to the manager that says, oh, he's an amazing player, he's brilliant, and so on and so on. Yeah, that's, Maybe that's he fair. needs someone to, to give him a little bit more... Uh, Give it a little bit of acknowledgement, but but you know, keep him on his toes, remind him that he needs to work hard always when he's wearing the English. Yeah, team. and I think the I think you need good man management skills with these kind of players. Um Bobby Robson and Terry Renables mm-hmm. were the best managers that Paul Gascoigne had because they they knew how to manage him. They knew how to let get him get him motivated, get him off the get him at his best and playing at his best and Yet also working hard and working for the team, and players like Grealish are the same. He's not obviously not Paul Gascoigne, but but you but yeah. I mean, Grealish is the kind of player you could literally build a, build a team around. Good. If you put yeah. him in the number ten role, then you have 
people like Sterling and Sancho either side of him and Harry Kane ahead of him. Yeah. That's some attack. I mean, uh, and you've got, you've got like two defensive midfield players behind them providing the protection. You know, it's, that would be, and you could always adapt your formation for different, Mm, you would think, for a different opposition. I think there Um, is that possibility. If you, um, want to, if you want to defend a lead or whatever, you take Grealish off and go to four, three, four, three, or something. You know, it's it's not impossible to do that. I mean, uh, this is the three, four, three slander section, I guess, because that that is the big con for me. That was the big con which we explored. There was that it will negate the amount of attacking options that you can take to World Cup, and it will. And you'll be shocked if this system goes ahead. I do believe that you will be surprised at the amount of names that miss out and you'll be looking at other names and thinking, how was so-and-so in? But he's not in and it's due to, I believe, the setup of the system. However, as we, as you know, every good tale has two, two sides to it. So I guess we could have a look at the, the positives to this system. And what I started the last section with, with a brief overview of the pro and the con, we went into the con massively there and it slightly changes the how I imagine these two 15-minute slots to go. But <laughs> the pro in, in itself was, you know, more defensive assurance for a defence that doesn't instill confidence. Uh, and I've picked an example here, so I mean, you can probably pick um, more examples of this. But obviously Liverpool, imperious last year, won the Champions League the year before. Elite team, huge team, aside from their 7-2 defeat to Villa uh, recently. Um, <laughs> yes. So let's mm-hmm. imagine Liverpool at their best. And when you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson bombing on, acting like wingers, essentially, as, as opposed to just your traditional fullbacks. I mean, the modern-day fullbacks. Liverpool don't have a back four, they have a back two, which I suppose you've got Fabinho in front, so it's kind of a back three because he's, he drops in. And they've also got Alisson. Now, using those four, your two centre-backs, goalkeeper and your defensive midfielder, I'd say, and I'm using this as a barometer of world-class being, uh, in the top five uh, in your position. That's what I'd say world-class was. I think Gary Neville coined that, or someone coined that, but yeah, that's what, yeah. that's a fair fair assumption. I'd uh, say yeah. Alisson's world-class, Van Dijk's world-class, Fabinho's world-class, and I think that Gomez is good. Now, that's not to slander Gomez. He's a good player. But out of those three, they are all, I think, world-class in their position. And I think yeah. Gomez is good. Right, so it means that if you've got a good player playing with those three, and he is good, he's very good. If you've got a good three play, if you've got a good player playing with those three world class performers, you're going to be fine. Most times, you're going to be fine. I do think that. But then cross that over to England. You've got Gomez, who is good. You've got Declan Rice, who is good and potentially very good, but he's still only good. He's good. He's still got some things to add to his game, and I think you can even appreciate that. As as a as a person who admires him and wants him at his club, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, he's he's only twenty one. He's he's got yeah. a lot. He's still got a lot of improvement. Yeah, and we've got Maguire, who I think, despite all the slander, is good. I think he's a good player. I think he is a good player. I think he he's he's proven himself in the past that he is capable of being a good defender. He's strong. He's good with his head. He's not too bad on the ball, and. Generally, I don't think he's as bad as people make out. So I think he's a good defender. So you've got three good players there. And I think Pickford, I'm going to put question mark, for club, very questionable. But for country, again, today, largely, you know, not, not much, uh, no, no spills. 
No spills again. Another England appearance with no uh, errors of note. An excellent distribution with the ball. But I'm, so I'm going to say good, maybe slightly, slightly underneath good category, right? So Liverpool, with their two really attacking wing-like fullbacks, play a system where they can do that because 90% of the time they've got people who take the world-class performers that take big responsibility and Gomez can play in that knowing that, you know, he, he doesn't have to do as much because, the you know, the other three, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but the other three are so good that <laughs> it's kind of cushy for him. Now you go to England and you've got Gomez with Maguire and with Rice. Fabinho's better than Rice. Van Dijk's better than Maguire. Alisson's better than Pickford. You can't play, I don't think, with the four and the bombarding fullbacks that Trent and Ch- Alexander-Arnold and Chilwell would want to be. And you can't do that with the, with the same assurances that Liverpool could. Liverpool might concede a goal with the, those players because they play quite a high-risk game. But England, you could see conceding two or three. And, you know, at that point, yeah. then you're yeah, in trouble. True. So, yeah, you play the 3-4-3 three, three, and you have Chilwell and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold as wing-back. Mm. Um, and then in mid, and yeah, I mean, you could play. I mean, Declan Rice, yeah, he could write. He's he's actually perfect for that to middle centre back in a back three because he can come into midfield and he can drop back into centre back. He, he's, he's, he can do both. Um, Eric Dyer is the same. He can do both. Although I rate, I rate Declan Rice higher than Eric Dyer. Well, today, uh, I mean, well, today, this is the day the podcast was filmed, uh, recorded when the Belgian game was. Uh, Declan Rice was in a midfield pivot in the 3 4 3 with um, Jordan Henderson. Um, of course, Dyer was the middle centre back. I actually also think this is a, this is sort of a, a, rec- a possible recognition opportunity for Connor Cody, who plays the three back three week in, week out for Wolves, knows the centre centre back position, you know, so well. Uh, the only the only player actually in that defense who I think plays the back th- has the most experience, sorry, or has a you know years of experience in that back three system. But one thing I'd like to sort of say is there's there's two kind of back three systems. You've got the one at Wolves, Nuno Espirito Santo plays, and the one Antonio Conte plays. The general, you know, three four three, where you've got three centre backs, four midfielders with with the wing backs, you can drop to a five, and you've got the three. Or the two attackers and, and five midfielders, but you've always got three centre backs in and out of possession. Where's three, and the full back and the wing backs are a, provide a lot of the ammunition going forward. But then you've got Mikel Arteta's innovated uh, three at the back um, system, which is three four three out of possession, but when in possession, it's a four three three, where the left centre back in 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 their case. Kieran Tierney becomes the left back and the left wing back is inverted. He becomes the left centre mid- centre midfielder. And the right wing back comes inside as well. Oh no, the right wing back actually drops back and becomes the right back. I know I, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain this with the England system now. So in England, what we saw today was Kyle Walker playing in a three in the three four three as the right centre back doing the Kieran Tierney position of a fullback playing in, in the centre of defence. When England were in possession, he moved out to right-back and Trent Alexander-Arnold became the advanced number eight. Something we've speculated about on this podcast, Trent Alexander-Arnold playing yeah, further forward. In a, yeah. in a, it, although he was a bit isolated today, in fairness, and Walker, I think, was man of the match uh, today. was excellent, particularly as the right centre-back, just very assured defensively. But 
His inclusion there over, say, Joe Gomez, who's a more natural centre-back, suggests that Gareth Southgate wants to follow the Mikel Arteta system of the 3-4-3 slash 4-3-3. And Kieran Tierney's key key to Arteta's system because he's the left centre-back in the 3-4-3 when they're defending and they're compact, becoming the left-back in the 4-3-3, which allows the wing-backs to, as I say, become inverted and come into midfield. Yeah. And I think that's that, that's quite interesting, you know, how, the, the, the attacking fluidity that that, that um, system provides. And what it's done for Arsenal is it's meant that in the 3-4-3, when they're out of, when they don't have the ball, they're very tough to break down. And, you know, Arsenal had a lot of defensive issues before Arteta came up with this innovative idea of, play, of the 3-4-3. And when they played it in the past, it negated them going forward a bit, which is why he's gone to make it more, more tactically fluid in that when they go forward, it's a 4-3-3. So that provides a bit more of an attacking dimension to their play. It makes them a bit more fluid, a bit more unpredictable. And it's been doing really well so far because you look at Arsenal, you think player for player, they're not as good as some of the rivals, but they, they're competing with some of the rivals. In fact, they're doing, they've started the season better than others. So do you think that the by following Ar- Mikel Arteta's blue, blueprint that Gareth Southgate could on to a winner because this doesn't look like the same back three setup and idea that he came out of the World Cup with. Yeah, if he follows that idea, that's not a bad idea, honestly. <laughs> yeah, because I like how Arteta has, has done that. He's made Arsenal more solid, but also they're still effective going forward. Um, they've got quality attacking players, Arsenal. Uh, you've got to say, you know, especially about. Bamiyang, obviously, everyone knows that. And William was a clever signing for them because he's very good at dropping deep, winning possession, and starting attacks from deep uh, and making those driving runs forward. So he suits that that kind of way of playing. Mm. So if that is what he wants to do, he needs to. They need to be executing it well. Mm. It's not something you can kind of do half-heartedly. So. When we watched at the, in the uh, in yeah. the World Cup in 2018, it, it felt like Kyle Walker was a right centre back largely, um, and not maybe the right back out of possession, if you know what I mean. Because it did feel a lot more rigid, didn't it? That because it was no, Kieran Trippier, actually young now, and I think that's one of the reasons Reese James is now in the squad. Because I think he'd be great at right wing back, wouldn't he? Reece James, it would be. We James can play right back, right wing back. He can play right centre back. He can play, also play in midfield as well. Actually, he's played. He was he played half a season in midfield for Wigan and was their player of the year. So it's a smart move to bring him in to the squad because he can. You could play him as the. I mean, his crossing is. I haven't seen crossing like his since David Beckham. It's so pinpoint. So what about, about Alexander Arnold? Yeah, I mean, yes, obviously. Is yes, but I mean, I'm. T- I mean, it's just, I, it's just the way he shapes and the way he, the way he gets the balls in, and the positions that he gets the balls in from. I'll just remind me of David Beckham. Mm-hmm. Um, Trent is a whole different player. I mean, so, so, so James actually just, he's, to, just uh, he's that. basically, he's, you know, he's he's just on another level to a lot of players. Just to jump on that, then could he not be the right set? He's, he's got the physique to be a right centre back, maybe. If if Walker Walker did really well today, by the way, I mean. I, yeah. I mean, you know, and he has experience in that position. But Reese James, outside of possession, right centre back, big, strong, fast, 
yeah. tough to get off the well, ball. Then. In possession, right back can provide deeper crosses. While, but then at the same time, I suppose at right wing back, uh, in possession, out of possession, right wing back in possession, advanced number eight like Alexander Arnold was today wasn't quite as effective for him. But it's a role I suppose he's going to make. Could maybe adjust to. He can also play the box to box. Like you could, Rhys James could also do the box to box. Hey. Mm. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, uh, if you need him to, or in a defensive midfield role, he's versatile. So uh, it's definitely worth having him in. Having him in the squad, and I mean, you get he, he could put crosses on a plate for Harry Kane. Honestly, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a few people that could. I mean, there's there's some. I mean, the one 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 overriding, I suppose, positive. I guess in the sense of in the sense of going forward, because we talked about how it helps instill defensively, but going forward, it gives a bit more licence for the wing-backs and the full-backs who England have so much talent, you know, an area England have so much talent in. It gives them the more attacking licence to and, and, and an opportunity to forget more about the defensive side of the game, particularly Alexander-Arnold, you know, knowing Walker's there to protect him, and Chilwell as well, you know, the opportunity to just go on that byline, whip balls into the box. A little bit more uh, assurance for them. I suppose for Alexander Arnold, he just had at Liverpool, knowing that he has that assurance behind him. And I suppose now with the three at the back, you know, yeah, it, it, it works. Gives it... Yeah. If they're playing it that way, it works. And then you can still accommodate players like, you can still accommodate players like Grealish or Sancho, you know, and in, mm. in the squad, certainly. Uh, mm. And I think, well, I think yeah. Jaden Sancho's, you know, as a front of a front three, he plays in a Dortmund team that plays three four three, so he won't have any problem being exactly, that right yeah, forward. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it's just amazing, like I say, and, and this is sort of going. I mean, we've, we've just highlighted the possibilities of that, and you know how it could benefit England, you know, going forward. However, it's just amazing how we 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 go back one or two months. And we were talking about oh Greenwood, Foden, all of this, and there is, as I say, a very real possibility. I promise. Anyone listening now, a very real possibility that 80% of the players who you're saying, oh, it'd be interesting to see them, will not feature in this in this setup. And I'm not and that that's obviously a negative to end the positive 15 minutes, but it's just a it's a reality. That that's what it is. That is the reality of it. It's a gamble. If it works, if England win the Euros, nobody will care. No, no, they won't. If England don't win the Euros, everybody will in the semi-final. <laughs> then everyone will care and say, yeah. "You didn't take this. I didn't take that guy." It's all. You know, it's, I, I've watched England for mm. thirty years. Yeah, you say actually, but um, it's always the player that didn't. When you don't, when you don't do well, it's always the player you didn't take. And hey, negative well, negative press is the thing that sells. No one cares about people uh, cheering on exactly. the other person. Very true. Anyway, final final uh, section now, uh, which is which was uh, previewed as or or. I said to James a few hours ago as championship window possibilities, but also could morph into uh, the uh, more controversy with the uh, eighteen team plan Premier League. But we'll start with the championship. Um, start with the championship possible transfers. Yeah. I mean Ben Rama to West Ham. Uh, I've championed uh, Ben Rama and Ollie Watkins for a long time on this podcast. Two of the uh, key Brentford, Brentford performers. I mean, ben Rama did scored an unbelievable goal in the Carabao Cup. Uh, against Fulham, where he rolls it through the defender's legs and then bends it into the corner. He's a super player. Watkins has already gone for thirty million, and I just think this would be a, a great signing for West Ham. And, and they, they were, it's amazing because at the start of the season, it was a club 
um, that was it, it felt so toxic everything about it you, you felt like they were in trouble they were terrible against Newcastle and now you know they just beat Wolves 4-0 Leicester 3-0 and they could be signing a real gem here absolutely could it's, it's a, he's, a, he's a big big talent really is I'm surprised Beer Club done in for him honestly he's a massive talent and makes things happen he do stuff out of nothing um, linked with Chelsea as well linked with Chelsea he was yeah um, and they definitely scouted him and uh, yeah. they liked him but um, yeah West that's good business from West Ham if they get him Mm. Yeah, and it and fills they, the void they, left by um, Dean Garner, doesn't it? Because that's what all the co- a lot of the controversy yeah. built up about. And he started really well for West Brom. Actually, it looks like a real live wire. But um, yeah, no, that'll probably temper those uh, frustrations. And a yeah, few other ones started doing started doing well. I mean, like they've got. I mean, Declan Rice is improving again. Mm. Like he mm. he's he's a big part of why of why they do well because he mm. protects the defense and he drives the team forward and he gives. Leadership. They've been played a back three now, I think, as well, haven't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. and he plays both. He plays sometimes he plays in the back three, sometimes he plays outside defensive midfield. So it's yeah, they're putting they're starting to do do well. West Ham. So been linked with Josh King as well. Actually, I mean, there'll be a few clubs linked with Josh King. He's one of those players, isn't he? Like, I feel like with Josh King as well, he's uh, he's got all the attributes in terms of he's very big, very fast, very strong, very skillful. But sometimes a bit lacking in end product. I feel like some, if he was in a good goal scoring rhythm, the goals would come, you know, a lot more naturally. Yeah. But then when he wasn't in it, he didn't necessarily have, you know, it, it was very much in in patches. I suppose that's what defines um, your top end strikers from the strikers who you know have the ability to do well, but they don't end up, you know, moving to the big clubs. But um, I suppose he he'd be a, he'd be another option for West Ham. They don't seem convinced with Alaire. Even though he is playing a little bit um, at the start of the season, it seems to be Antonio who they favour in that position, yeah. and he's not a striker, so maybe King fits the bill, or maybe he fits the bill for someone else. Yeah, I think he. Yeah, I think he'll move. There's a few clubs interested. I think so. Um, I think even Man United were linked to one. <laughs> we mm. just King. Um, I think he's. I think he's uh, part of Solskjaer's. Uh, Agency that he owns or something like a Galo. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm sure he will move. Yeah, mm. it's gonna be interesting because there's a few, there's a few championship players who are decent players who some clubs would probably benefit from. Well, Max Aaron's he was linked with Bayern Munich, wasn't he? And a few others, um, <laughs> yeah, very young player. I mean, I thought that was jumping the gun a bit because even though I think he's a very exciting player, Bayern Munich have Benjamin Pavard and who signed. Uh, I think they signed a player from Marseille. I forgot what his name is. They also got Joshua Kimmich, who can play in that position. So yeah. for Max Ahrens to go from Norwich to that would be quite a jump. Um, yeah. But they could do a job for quite a few clubs, I think, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I'd certainly have him at Burnley. I'd certainly oh, have him. I think oh, he's a very yeah. exciting uh, young player. Uh, but he's still quite... I'd I'd say naive defensively, but whether that whether it was him or whether that was Daniel Farker's tactics that were quite offensive for might be that yeah <laughs> newly promoted club is another thing he could make a difference. I mean, there's a few. Emi Buendia created so many chances for Norwich last oh, year. Oh, what a player he is! Lovely, yeah. silky player, and he, he bears merit to watch. And he got sent off against my team Burnley in the second to last game for a silly challenge. 
But apart from that, you know, a, a very, very exciting player to watch. And there are a few people touting him for, for a move to a bigger club as maybe a, a, a left field shout for someone who was a bit cash strapped because maybe it wouldn't cost as much as other options would. We're yeah. still at Norwich, I think. And potentially available there. Todd Cantwell as well. I mean, he was linked with Leeds, wasn't he? And, you know, well, a, a player that every, people enjoy. But, 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 I'll throw you to the uh, what I was talking to you about just before the podcast. Possibility of Jack Butland to Liverpool, or at least rumours of that, uh, with mm-hmm. Alisson supposedly out for five, six weeks, according to some reports. Leaves them with Adrian, who hasn't been the most reliable of second-choice goalkeepers uh, in the past. Ordinarily, it wouldn't be a problem if he's only playing the odd cup game, but it, you know, he could potentially derail the season a little bit, having someone who just doesn't fill the yeah. defence with any confidence. If he's out for that long, yes, you need um, a better second choice than um, than they've got, and mm. we saw that against Aston Villa. Um, he wasn't responsible for most of the goals, but for the first one, he absolutely was. Mm. Uh, and um, after that, he just couldn't recover that. Uh, so, yeah, it might be useful. And you know, but Jack Butland, well, he was playing for England a few years ago. Mm. You know, getting in with big clubs and. I don't believe he's suddenly lost that. So as a kind of a backup option, kind of relatively cheap, that wouldn't be a bad deal. Mm. Um, Two more quickly, James. I want to get onto that controversial uh, thing. I'll let you have mm-hmm. your thoughts on that. But Ismail Asar linked with a £30 million move to Crystal Palace. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's a, a gem of a player. Um, in... He's got all the attributes to be excellent. I do think end product was one of them that was slightly lacking, but I think you get that with lots of players when they've just uh, made the move to England and they're still experiencing life in England, life in the Premier League. I mean, Sadio Mane wasn't the finished article when he went to Liverpool and now look at him. So it just shows um, how players can develop. Uh, I mean, that'd be quite a coup for Palace, who've already got a Barrett Chiesa and Wilfred Zahar. Suddenly they're looking like a real team, aren't they, under Roy Hodgson? If yeah, they get that's, him. A, that's a really good signing if they get him. He's a quality player. Yeah, lots of clubs looked at him. Man United looked at him. Mm. Liverpool looked at him. I think mm. um, I heard that Chelsea were looking at him if mm. Hudson the boy had left. Mm. So um, that's a clue if Crystal Palace can get him, yeah. Mm. And Troy Deeney as well linked with a few clubs. One of which, um, this might be wrong because I couldn't quite believe it myself, Southampton, and I thought there wouldn't be a club were suited to Troidini, I don't think, than Southampton. Yeah. So maybe I've read that slightly yeah. wrong. But um yeah. I can't believe that. That's... No, I can't. But he's been linked with a f- he's been linked with various clubs. He's been linked with the return to the Premier League on a loan. You know, I look at Burnley and think, you know, uh, that sounds like a Burnley signing. I don't think I'd want it to be a Burnley signing. But um, you know, I, I suppose what you get with Dini is he's not going to do much moving, but he is a leader. He is a nuisance. He is irritating for opponents when he when he plonks himself in the box. And, you know, if the ball drops in and around the box and he doesn't have to move too much, I think he could, he's, he's still a very good finisher of the ball. So he has his he has his perks, doesn't he, for a club that maybe is languishing in, in, the, in the bottom half of the table and, and, and wants some goals. Yeah, absolutely agree, yeah. And you're right, he'd be totally completely suited to Burnley. He uh, reminds me a bit of Mitrovic, I suppose. Mitrovic never looks like the silkiest player. In fact, he looks like he's puffing and panting when he's running around the pitch, you know, a, a few yards. Mm-hmm. But then if he gets an opportunity, he usually takes it. So, 
Yeah. Um, I suppose some teams have got to take goal scorers in whatever shape that they come in, and I suppose, um, yeah, you know, that's. But no, I, I mean, I did. I, I may. I think I'm wrong when I say Southampton, and if I'm not, I am shocked. I mean, that a high pressing game is certainly not suited Great. to Troy Deeney's um, attributes. Anyway, just before we uh, finish, we can uh, have a quick move to um, to the uh, thing that we were talking about before the 18 club plan. Now. I didn't spend a whole uh, section on this because one, it's just a proposal and I think 14 clubs in the Premier League still have to um, vote it into into play. So it's still very much just a proposal. Uh, I think it's by the owners of Liverpool and Manchester United. Essentially, the Premier League would be cut down from 20 teams to 18 teams. Uh, 18th and 17th would go down to the championship in a, in a normal season 16th would be in a relegation playoff I think with third in the championship so it's similar to the um, to the Bundesliga in that respect the plan would mean that they gave £250 million to the EFL uh, to tackle the current um, problems with the coronavirus um, then they'd also give 25% of uh, future income, seasonal income to the Football League which is more than is currently given. Uh, parachute payments would be scrapped uh, in light of that decision. £100 million would be given to the FA as, as a um, token gesture uh, by the clubs involved in this, um, in this decision. Uh, but it would also leave big decisions in the hands of uh, the big clubs, essentially, uh, paving the way for um, a more elite style of football than what we're used to. Uh, in essence, they could veto new owners uh, that come to buy clubs outside the top six if they don't want them there. And they could also pave the way for plans such as the European Super League in the future. Um, so essentially, it's the big clubs in England, Man United and Liverpool, leading this um, leading this charge that would be in power, well, total power, of what, of, of what we see going on in our game. And I know you're not a fan, are you, James, of this? No, and I'm I'm a fan of a big club. I'm you know I'm a Chelsea fan. Chelsea mm. are a big club. They would benefit from mm. from this if it happens because um, yeah they would. Rich club, big club, mostly in the Champions League. You know, so they benefit. Uh, been been in the league. I think it says that the rules are that the teams that have been in the league the longest would have more power. So you know, Chelsea. Yeah, Everton, Everton, Everton never been relegated, have they? So they're also in the um, in so, that in that group. I think this is very, very dangerous um, because you are concentrating power in the hands of elite clubs um, who many of them will play in Champions League football or aspiring to or want to you know, increase the Champions League or reform it, make it into more of a Super League kind of thing. And yeah, and the danger is again. There's so many dangers because you could. You think about the TV deals as well. You know, with clubs, would they change the rules that the clubs could then negotiate their own TV deals, all that kind of thing? Mm. You know, what, you know what would happen with the pay-per-view thing for games? Mm. All of that. This would all be affected by it, and uh, it comes back to what we talked about before, with you know, at the beginning of the, the episode. That, it's dangerous, you know. Uh, it kind of feels like they're bribing the the, the lower league football, the football association, and the you know the the the, the, um, the football league and everything to 
take more power. And they're kind of using this situation to build their power base, you know. Um, yeah, and it's, it kind of sadly feels like it's inevitable that something like this will happen. Uh, and I hope it doesn't. But yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the European Super League would be kind of be would be great to watch. Let's be honest. Some of you are mm. seeing seeing top teams playing each other more on a regular basis. You know, if you're seeing Real Madrid versus Liverpool or whatever, or uh, that kind yep. of thing on a regular basis, that's good mm. to watch. But for the real fans and for the well, fans of, of of clubs that are not in that elite, they're the ones that are going to suffer. You know, and and fans at home are going to suffer because they'll probably have, they may have to pay more money to watch their club on TV. There's so many dangers that are wrapped up in this and materialistic. Yeah, and that well, word again, and that vetoing new ownership of clubs. Mm. You know, that's that's so on the basis that they could become competitors. That's not that's not correct. That's not that's not democratic. That's not democratic. No, it's no. not. It's, it's it's not it's not football. It's not how it's not football. So, so so what a wonderful I suppose way to finish that. Um, in terms of <laughs> good way to start um, the discussion in terms of controversy, potential corruption, sucking the soul out of the game. Uh, we had a brief diversion into the um, into the pros and cons of the back three. Uh, hopefully offering some balance there before returning to possible transfers and then finally finishing with uh, a return to um, the. Uh, possible corruption and um, and uh, the the lack of a soul that football could well end up with uh, over the coming years. So that was a lot of fun, James. Uh, actually, I suppose um, it was. It was a good episode. So this should be out on iTunes, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and another shout out again. He's messaged me twice uh, to thank me for this, but a big shout out to Editor Sam, who's doing a very good job saving um, a true hero in the shadows of this podcast so big shout out to sam and uh we'll we'll see you next week with um with probably updated uh transfers given that the championship window will have shut and also more time to ponder domestic football once again so take care everyone and uh and stay safe